Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. We are part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Chip Frederick. We'll talk Vanderbilt baseball. Chip appears on the guest line. That's presented by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call. That number is 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Now on to today's episode with Chip. Chip Frederick joins us as we talk Vandy baseball. Chip, welcome to the show. Hope you're doing well. Thanks, Chris. Good to be uh, here again. And um you know, talk about where we are as we head to the midweek midpoint of the season here that we always talk in the years past we've done this, that these are critical times and you adjust and see where these teams are in the standings and, and of course, where Vanderbilt is. And in years past, it, it's been uh, a lot more successful, I would say, at this point, uh, hearkening back to the last six, seven years compared to where we are right now. So uh, lots to talk about um, with uh, this team as they try to build themselves back up five and seven in the league and 22 and nine overall and not a position uh, where they thought they would be losing seven out of nine in the conference. Just uh, a lot of unsettling times. And uh, this is what Vanderbilt teams in the past have been there in this situation to play to harder. You harken back to the 2014 season that they were in a semi similar spot where they uh, bounced back and won a national championship that year but this team has some some uh, definite holes right now, probably in the head as much as physical, and, and losing kind of catches up to you in a, in a definite precarious situation that this team's not used to, the coaching staff's not used to, and the fan base is not used to, of course. And uh, gonna have to gonna have to dig deep, and I, I hate to pinpoint games and series that are more important than others because that just gets you into trouble. But I think this series of Florida is going to be extremely important for both teams. You're looking at them, they're five and seven in the league, but an extremely important series for Vanderbilt and Florida as they square off on Easter weekend. Yeah, lots of thoughts here, but Florida just went through a lot of what Vanderbilt went through. A six-game losing streak, I think it was, in the league or something like that. And then a sweep of Arkansas, which outside of Tennessee was playing as well as anybody. So it's an interesting time for these two teams to meet. Yeah. And, and, you know, you would, you were hoping and looking at the way the three games transpired for Vanderbilt this weekend, Friday was sort of a continuation of a little bit of what happened the week before. And it was just, you kind of had this, you know, very negative attitude going into Saturday's game and the importance of that. And usually when you get a bounce-back win, and it's a bounce-back win in a huge way, 19-4 to in Game 2, pounding out 23 hits, and, and your thought is that this team's getting a lot of their frustrations out and possibly turning the corner. And then the same things just rear their heads on, on Sunday with, you know, they get two, they scratch out two, two uh, runs and eight hits, and Riley doesn't have the effective outing that he had, similar to the week before against Tennessee. Even though he lost, he couldn't string it together and only pitches two innings. So uh, that just compounds things uh, as you move forward, and, and it's just um, a puzzling, uh, it's just a big puzzle when you look at it, how uh, the same things continue to happen with, with, uh, two-strike hitting and, and not attacking. Um, it certainly didn't happen on Saturday. It makes you just feel like it, that could have gone, Chris, it could have gone either way. You, you, you win Sunday after pounding out the, the 23 hits and 19 runs on Saturday, and it's almost like you come back to Nash with an all as well. We, you know, the, this thing has rectified itself, a lot of momentum, and then to lose on Sunday, I thought was very pivotal and and uh, in, in the negative way. And and this team's just going to have to find a way. Hopefully, get the game in tonight with the rain and the forecast. But it, there's just a lot of soul searching, and and it's not from a lack of trying from lineups. We we talked about in the past how Tim Corbin has 
you know, usually by this point, as we near the halfway point, there is very little maneuvering in the in the lineup. They found the rotation. They found where they're going to be in the field, and that just hasn't happened with this club, and they're going to continue to try to plug the holes and try to find somebody who can catch lightning in a bottle and, and, and get things going on the offensive side and also on, you know, the, the pitching side as well. Yeah, everything right now is confusing about this team to me, and – I want to elaborate on the point you just made, but let me start here because this is where I was going to start. But let's go back three weeks ago. This team was number one in the country in some polls. I thought it was legit number one. I I looked at the team. I thought I see all the parts here. Some other people would have disagreed, but um, that's the way I saw it. Maybe I was wrong. They then lose two or three to South Carolina um, after starting with a 10-0 win. In the middle, there have been, what, seven losses in nine S- in eight SEC games. The one win was a 15-run win. And here we are just shaking our heads going, what is it that they've got here? And I think both of us are confused about that. I think the other confusing thing, too, is you look at the lineup, and there was a thread on our board this week about what's the optimal lineup I don't know how to answer that right now. I mean, I still think it's, um, to me, if I'm filling out a lineup card, Colwick's in there, but I think his health is in question. So I guess you've got to put him aside. I'd I'd still like to see Cassis get extended at bats. Um, I like Diaz at third. I know that that Carter Young, a lot of people have griped about his continual inclusion in the lineup. I still think Carter's a really good player who's due to to get better. you know, outfield, I would still – I think Calvin Hewitt, to me, deserves a chance. I think he and Vaz, depending on the matchup, or, or till, I still think two good hitters. You're not going anywhere from Bradfield and, and center, and you're certainly not going away from Jones. Um, you know, and, and then Keegan and Bulger are both going to be in there. One's going to be catching, one's going to be DHing, uh, especially if it's Keegan. So I don't know what what that's going to look like. You've seen Vastine more in there lately. He gives you a left-handed option. You've seen Rob Gordon start to get some time, and Darnier hit a grand slam, his first at, at, at bat, I guess, in the midweek. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what you do at this point. It just, I look at this, and usually you have more clarity with Tim Corbin teams, but this one you just don't. I don't think. No, and and you look at you. You mentioned that your sentence was playing the matchups. I don't, I don't recall. I know that the staff has played matchups before in the past and gone to those as far as lefties and uh, righties, but I don't recall it being this um, this way, uh, this drastic in the, as it compared to the past. Um, I think guys just, as I mentioned, you, they just fought through it and you didn't see as much of the musical chairs. And you mentioned between Hewitt and Gordon's now in the mix and you've got you know, you've you've just you know, there's certain names. Laneve got himself an opportunity the other day. They're just they're trying to find, and that's what's frustrating for the staff. I'm sure is just to find that mix for guys, and just if you just take the Saturday contest out of it, because everybody had inflated numbers on Saturday. I mean, look at what Bolger's five for five on Saturday. You know, you had Spencer Jones was three for four. You, you, you just you had a lot of gaudy statistics and you have to take a step back and say, was that an aberration? Was that something that just happened and in Auburn kind of shut it down and threw the back end of their bullpen after the third inning, when they used one, two, three, they used five pitchers and you look at those guys they use and they kind of, were they just waving the white flag and just said, all right, Vanderbilt, you can have game two. We're going to go for the series. So yeah, it's just, it, it's perplexing to see, um, the, the year that Carter Young's having after being so heralded uh, for for all the, you know, coming into the season. I know he had the shoulder injury, and, and um, it's just certain guys are not um, rising to it. Uh, Carter Young's, look, Carter Young's a good baseball player. Uh, he's got all the tools. He wouldn't be ranked as high as he was coming in as far as being a high draft, but it's just – you, you just wonder, is there something behind the scenes? Is there injury? Is there certain guys who are, or, or it's more mental than it is anything? Because you know, is it the coaching approach? Is it the hitting approach with two strikes that we've talked about continuously that 
you see this team not attacking in early counts and jumping on fastballs early in counts. And I think we saw a big-time vulnerability, Chris, and you mentioned this to, when we off the air before we got on there as far as hitting off-speed pitches. Uh, this team seemed very out of, out of sorts when they were going up against anybody who threw junk, especially slow junk, and, and could mix it up. And that seemed to be the tell sound to me that that was a weakness. And once you get into a habit like that, you're going to see more and more of that um, from the opposition. Yeah. Um, well, there's a lot of questions here. And I'm trying to think of where to start. <laughs> Did, with the approach, it, because I'm, I'm, and I'm asking you this honestly, because I have been able to, I, I've had a lot of family conflicts and things the last few weeks. And I've not gotten to see nearly as much as I normally would this time of the year. I, I maybe watched... Oh, maybe 35% of the Auburn series with my own eyes. One gripe that I hear continually is that these players are not taking good approaches at the plate. I mean, you've heard that for a couple of weeks now, that they'll watch a strike or two and they don't set themselves up in favorable accounts by aggressiveness. What are you seeing there? I know you've talked about it before. And did you see something different on Saturday when they broke out? Were they were they very different in approach, or was that just one of those games? Like you said, Auburn throws the white flag and tries to win Sunday. I don't know what the answer is, and I don't know how much of it you've got to see to where you have a feel of it, because I know you're in the same spot. You've got travel ball with your kids and stuff too, but um, I, I'm not as I, I've not been as dialed in as I normally would be just because of other circumstances, and I'm just curious. Uh, as to what you're seeing there? I think it goes back, Chris, to – I don't think it's just a this-year problem. It, it's something that I think I noticed in Omaha uh, at several games, especially in, in the championship series, where when you have a, a sample size of, of another team and you, Mississippi State you know, could have been just the way they the, – the brand of baseball they played last year as a team, but – comparatively the way that the approach is and that's the only you know when you're watching a baseball game sometimes you know it's easy to do that how one team approaches at the plate and how others how the other team doesn't but just being aggressive early in accounts first pitch pass fastballs fighting pitches off going the other way was something that Mississippi State continually did in that in the, in the championship series and that's when I sort of started noticing uh, that the approach of Vanderbilt was less that way the two strike discipline taking pitches right down the heart of the plate on, on with two strikes and almost to a sense guessing counts um if you're gonna guess if if you're going to guess and it's always been my philosophy and and from hitting coaches and people that I respect that that are really good at, at the hitting approach you want to guess fastball if you're going to guess and i think a lot of times these guys try to think too much instead of just putting the ball in play, hitting the ball the other way. And that just, that's just my observation from watching. And, and it doesn't, it, it, it's not just this year. There were parts of last year towards the end, especially, you know, they were facing some really good competition. ECU had some East Carolina had some, some great pitching, uh, some first round talent uh, in that, in that those games that we played uh, at towards the end of the year before the college world series. But I would just like to see a little bit more of that. Um, you know, how was their plate discipline when they get a nine spot in game two against Auburn and, and take a nine one lead after Auburn scores in the first, you know, you really couldn't tell. I, I, you just had some guys who were more aggressive. It just appeared to me. And then they run into a bus all and on Sunday and it felt like they just were all, they were just in the mud the entire game. And when that happens, and you get Riley, you know, who only lasts two innings, and you got to go to your bullpen. It just affects you. You feel like you're just climbing uphill the entire game, and offensively, they couldn't get anything done. And I know it appears to a lot of people. I even heard on the broadcast um, with Andrew that you know he says this team talking about just seems like we hit in. These weren't his exact words, but hitting the double plays, and, and it does seem like this team does hit and do a lot of double plays. And it was just a, a lot of like that going on on Sunday where 
just never could get any traction. And that's what happens when you've, when you've lost seven out of nine in the conference. Um, that's correct. Is it seven out of nine, right? If the sweep by UT. Well, yes. it's, it's seven out of eight. If you want to look yeah, at it, like true. they lost the South Carolina game and then, and then it's been seven of eight in the league since then. Now they keep winning yeah. in midweek and you can thank Devin Futrell for a lot of that. But it, yes, this is not a streak that we have seen. I don't think in the entirety of Tim Portman's career. No. And, and it's, um, you know, you, you start, you know, grabbing at straws here when this starts to happen. This some, when when something like this hasn't happened in a long, long time, uh, you start wondering and guessing what are the reasons and if something going on behind the scenes or do they need, you know, speaking of Devin Futrell, do you, when, when does that come into play that this kid has been so successful midweek? When does he get a chance? He's 6-0 and midweek, you know, when do you start going down that road? And I'm not saying that I have any inside information, but it does make you wonder that if, if you're going to mix things up, you know, you got this lefty freshman kid who's, who's very composed. Now, he doesn't throw as hard as, as the other guys. He's upper 80s, 88, 90, and he has excellent control and a tremendous change and an off-speed pitch. But you start saying, you know, you, you've tried everything else, and – you're just looking for any kind of spark, um, and and you, you know I guess we'll know if the ga- they play the game against Western. If he's not on the mound, then that answers the question. But I'm, I'm not saying I don't know that. But um, if they've announced a starter, but you know, Chris, one thing that I, I was thinking about, and the, and the fan base needs to understand is, you, you if you're looking at reasons, and I'm not saying this is. Uh, the death knell and and the world's coming to an end. But a lot of times, and if you there are teams to point to in the past, uh, namely South Carolina's team in 2010, 2011, and 2012. South Carolina had a run where they were more one of the most dominant programs in the country. When you thought college baseball, you thought South Carolina Gamecocks. They win it in 2010 and 2011. They're the runner-up in 2012. And sometimes you can be the product of your own success you can it can be your downfall uh and and what i mean by that is it is e- extremely difficult to do what this staff has to do in recruiting when you are the premier program in the country and then i would you know name recognition and who people want to play for you know tim corbin is seen as a frontline coach that that parents want their kids to play for and it's a brand name in college baseball but you look at what happened in South Carolina after that. 2013, they got to the Super Regional. 2014, I was in Columbia for that regional doing some work from ESPN. They lose the regional final at home against Maryland. And the world just came to an end in Columbia. The fans were just hands on their heads. What has gone on? Because you're used to it. You're used to this success. And, and all of a sudden, it's jarring to the program. Well, let me get to my point. South Carolina, when they were really, really good, they could pick and choose anybody they wanted to to come to their school and recruiting-wise. They were the A1 program. They got kids who were frontline players. Uh, but what happens is, is when you recruit the best players and those kids don't show up on campus for, because of the draft, you're recruiting the best, and you got to know, and the dangerous thing that you have to do in your coach is you got to recruit kids who are going to show up on campus. It does Tim Corbin no good. And, and his staff to recruit guys. There's no accolades for recruiting guys who are great and they don't show up. You've wasted your time and energy on those guys and they don't show up and they go pro. And so you just wonder if after a while, if if the, some of those guys, those kids, they didn't show up on campus the last two, three years, might have been overshadowed that they had lighter and rocker to overshadow the talent. Not saying gap, because these guys are coming in, they're not poor players but you just wonder if with the with the transfer portal that everybody else is getting fresh players every year they got older kids they got 23 year olds who because of the the covid extra year and they're more mature and you couple that with the fact that some of these kids haven't come back haven't shown up on campus there there's a direct recollect a direct point to that you can do to say can they be a product of their own success? Okay, I'm going to give you a yes, but. 
Uh, because I think that's excuse me a downfall of their own success. Well, here's the thing: you can look at it. You can say, "Well, they lost this guy to the draft, that guy to the draft." By the way, if you don't have a stomach for that, don't watch the draft this next year because they've got what five of the top, I don't know, fifteen, twenty players in the country, something like that. Maybe I mean it's it's absurd, and and I'm guessing they maybe if they're lucky they're going to get one, and I, I couldn't tell you who that would be. I'm just you know just the law of numbers at players at that level, but. I'll counterpoint you a little bit. Um, I think that's been happening for a while. And I go back and look at the the 19 team, okay? Um, You know, your three stars at the end of the year, Rocker, Hickman, Fellows. Rocker was the only high-end guy that they got to campus. I think those other guys were good prospects, but they weren't, if I recall, turning down seven-figure bonuses to come. The, The rest of the 19 team, I don't know that any of the guys in that lineup uh, were turning down first round money. Were they? I mean, I'll, I'll name them. Philip Clark was highly regarded. Um, Infante was not in that stratosphere. Uh, Harrison Ray was not in that stratosphere. Certainly, Ethan Paul was not. Uh, Austin Martin was good, but I don't know that he was regarded as that good. Uh, Blade was picked to what in the 39th round. He was good, but he wasn't that good. I mean, he would have gone higher. I think of people that thought he'd signed. Um, you had DeMarco in center, good prospect, but not, you know, not first round talent. And who'd you have in left that year? Oh, Steven Scott, who was kind of a developmental guy who, who really, you know, the last year and a half, it, you know, played like an all SEC player. So I, I would say you make good points, but they've kind of dealt this with this for a while. And the kids they got to campus after that top layer came off like it usually does for most programs, we're still good enough for them win, to win a national title. Uh, and, and frankly, that was the best college baseball team I've ever seen. And, you know, I, I guess you could say an important difference was they got Rocker to campus. And that, that's, I'm not going to say my argument falls apart there, uh, but it's also not that cut and dried either because they did get one stud to campus in that. And, just, and, and, and by yeah. the way, tell me if I'm wrong, if I'm misremembering, and some of those guys were guys that, you know, Hey, if they're not at Vandy, they don't think they're going to take the money. They're going to go first and second round normally. Then I'll take some of that back. But I don't remember it being that way at the time. Yeah, I mean, it, it has. It's this isn't a new thing. But what my point is is what's happened. If you look at the league, I mean, this is an Auburn team who didn't make the tournament for several years in a row, and they've won three series in a row now. Seven and five and twenty-two and ten overall. And, and by the way, took one at LSU the weekend before, right. right? I mean, so yeah, so you know, there's a lot more balance. There, the the league is a lot older on the top end. You've got teams that just refuel the 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 mediocre teams that used to be in the bottom tier of the conference get transfers easily, uh, more easily than it. But you know, there's limitations with Vanderbilt transferring in for academics, but. I'm not making excuses, but I'm just giving you reasons why I think that they're they're running into a bus all a little bit. Why when you compare to the rest, the, the balance of the league here, and and um, if you don't, if you miss out on a couple kids, I mean, I, I cannot imagine a thing more frustrating as a coach. And no other sport has to deal with this. Baseball is the only sport that has to deal that you recruit, wine and dine, get these kids to come to your campus. Um, put on the jersey in the locker room, get the social media picture, and you get to know the family, get to know the kid, and they don't show up. Name an, there's not another sport in the NCAA that has to do that, that has to re Well, you don't re-recruit. Because of the rules, you can't talk to these kids during these windows. The agents can. The pro agents can. So, uh, again, I'm not trying to make excuses. I'm just saying there's a definite point to that there's other programs that go in addition to South Carolina, that uh, Georgia went through that before South Carolina did years ago, where they won the national championship, had a bunch of guys get drafted, and then the coach got fired two years later because it, you know, the, the same coach got fired because he wasn't winning. So it, it's just uh, in the day and age of having all these transfers coming in, there's more balance. And, you know, if can you imagine some of the lineups that if every if there wasn't a rule like that, like once you signed, you couldn't go pro. What what some of these teams would have looked like, and and um, it's just something to ponder. That's one thing I think. Some of the things that are going on with this team is they don't have a closer. 
I mean, you know, Maldonado was the closer, you know, even though he tried. If he's here, that changes a lot of things. Uh, and we don't know when he's going to come back, if he's going to come back this year with his oblique injury and and um, just what's happening offensively and, and is is troubling. And, and they'll have a chance this weekend to ride it, and I know that they'll do – everything they can in their training to get to get the confidence back but baseball i saw you mention in a post you did you know when or someone did someone said explain you know what's that's baseball quote unquote what does that mean well i mean this baseball is the craziest game as far as streaks as far as confidence and if you get on a roll one way or the other and it can go downhill fast and you can be uh, at the bottom of the hill and then you can be living life large and and like you know Tennessee's doing where the ball looks like a beach ball um the 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 plate looks like it's instead of 60 feet 60 feet 6 inches it's like 50 feet uh you know when you're leading the leading the nation in the categories of ERA and home runs life's pretty good and you're just you know everything's going well for you and that's what's happening uh to the east of us this season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Well, I'm going to hijack the conversation for a minute. I do have a couple other topics that I've written down that I want to circle back to. And again, this is where just the athletic department has just again gotten caught flat-footed. But if there's ever a time that you can remedy the issue with guys going pro, it's right now. And if they've not had multiple meetings already to say, hey, guys, we got a draft coming up uh, in, in, what, two and a half months or whatever it is, three months, that, it'll be the, it could be the best recruiting class they've ever assembled if they got them to campus or most of them. This is the one time you've got a shot to compete with pro money. And, and again, and if, if they have not had that conversation that that is a that is an athletic department failure. And look, that's gotta I'm sure Tim's gotta be involved, but he's got a lot going on. I mean, there's there's nothing to stop Drew Jones from signing a you know a ten million dollar endorsement deal. That's probably a lot of money. But I mean, you could make it even if you don't match dollar for dollar, I would think you could make Vanderbilt attractive enough uh to, to where oh okay, I'm I'm gonna get my money eventually. But I'll get it now, and I'll get it later, and I'll be in school, and I don't have to deal with riding buses to the miners. I think you can make that number even if you don't match what the bonus would be. Goodness gracious, as many wealthy boosters as they've got, as much exposure as the baseball program's got, they've got an opportunity right in front of them. I'm sure Tim's thought about it. I'm not sure the school has. Yeah, and if and if you're not ahead of the game, and I agree with what you're saying uh, as far as getting what you know, I've got a quote, I've got a wall in my office, and I've got different things I've cut out, and you know, uh, to remind me in pictures and little inspirational quotes, and I've got eight to ten of them maybe, and I've cut them out of magazines. Is, is one of them money talks? <laughs> no, but 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 I'll but I'll how it relates to this is it's a small quote and I picked it up a couple years ago and it says, if you don't like change, you're going to like irrelevance even less. Yeah. And, and, and if, if, if you don't grasp what's going on with NIL and, and those changes and the transfer portal, now will Vanderbilt ever be a revolving door for the transfer portal? I don't think so, but, um, 
I mean, they got one this year, and it's fairly new. Let's let's cut them some slot. I mean, you know, some other people got advantage of it, but it was a lot of these teams. I mean, look at what Auburn picked up with the kid from Sanford. But if you don't, if you're not, you you can all you can dislike it all you want to, and you could sit there and say, well, that's not the Vanderbilt way, or you know, or what have you. Um, if if you're if you're going to get caught. And you're going to be saying, looking at everybody, not in your rearview mirror, you're going to be looking at everybody up the ladder who's, who's climbed up and taken advantage of it. So, you know, and, and Chris, there, there's, you look at the standings, I mean, look at the Mississippi teams in the West. I mean, you think there's some gnashing of teeth going on with Mississippi State at four and eight and eighteen and fifteen coming off a national title. Yeah, that, that's two top five teams that are yeah. that are not, you know, on the brink of not making the NCAA tournament. I say top five preseason top five. I still think both are better than their record, although State's had some key pitching injuries and that's a little bit more in question. But Ole Miss should be better than it is for sure. And Ole Miss's Ole Miss's problem is their lack of pitching just in general. They just can't get anybody out. Right. Can't get anybody out. So so it's not a. We're not looking at this fourteen-team league and saying, well, you know, Vanderbilt's the the the, the lone wolf here who's having the problems. I mean, there's, you know, uh, there are a lot of teams. I mean, South Carolina's got a losing overall record, fifteen and sixteen. I mean, it's just there's a lot of things going on, and and um, but you you look at the teams that have slowly moved up. You know, Georgia's gotten better, Auburn's gotten better, Alabama sweeps L- Ole Miss this weekend. They've slowly gotten better, so, and they've taken advantage of, of bringing these kids in and and bolstering their raw kind of recruiting a second wave, so to speak, of what their need to, to what their needs are. So, it's a uh, um, it's there's a lot of things, and uh, and you're to to respond to your comment. Yes, I mean there's some a lot of contacts over there, people involved in the baseball world who can get involved in businesses and. And and I'm sure that that's I'm, I'm not sure that Tim Corbin's ignoring it. I'm not saying that that's a Tim Corbin thing. That if you're if you're if you're not going to accept the change, because he's pretty much been on the cutting edge of a lot of things with training and 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 digital stuff and 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 uh, training devices and how they work on the game and the you know he's always been on the cusp of that. And so I think that you'll find I, I don't think he's sitting there with his. Sitting on his hands, not understanding that that could be part of the game going forward. But I thought that quote when you were talking of if 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 you don't accept the changes that are happening in the game, then then you could be irrelevant one day and and find yourself looking up at everybody else. Yeah, I I, I love that quote. I think that's perfect. I, I think for them the the problem is they just they've been playing catch up for so much so long that you don't have time to be proactive and. and and think ahead when you see these things coming, which everybody could see sort of coming for a couple of years. Now, I didn't, I didn't know that one day in August, you know, the floodgates were going to open just wide open the way they did last summer. But the, the point is you anticipate that. And, and so now just because they've been so far behind on everything, they're still addressing stuff they should have 15 years ago, um, which, you know, let alone be ahead of, of this um, you know, apparently they're not even ready for this, as best I can tell. I'll ask around, and I, I won't belabor it because you've you've heard it from me before. But it just occurs to me as we're having that discussion about recruiting, and then looking at the class, I'm like, boy, this would be the perfect time um, to basically ensure that you get these kids you spent the time on. You've got an opportunity to get them to campus in a way that you never had before. And, and if you're not, again, if there's not a response to that. I just think that's being irresponsible on somebody's part, and, and maybe that falls on Tim. Uh, but given is is on top of things as he is, I'd, I'd have a hard time believing that's the case. But um, let, let's shift back to, to on field stuff for a minute. You talk about guessing with hitting, and the most important pitch in baseball, it said, is is, is strike one, because once the the pitcher gets ahead, it, it's like a play sheet. In football, like you, you got your, your call sheet's a lot more broad for uh, for second and two than it is for for third and eleven, and I just see them getting behind in so many counts, and you know I wonder if they're not being aggressive enough on first pitch, hitting strikes when they're there. If a team knows they're not going to be aggressive, then you kind of got a free pass to to float a fastball in there to get your yourself ahead. 
uh, that broadens what you can throw. And and if if it's three and zero or three and one, you can very much guess what's coming based on what the pitcher throws and what he throws for strikes. Uh, if you're zero and two, then then the whole pitch repertoire is open, so to speak. And I'm just wondering how much falling behind in counts is leading to, to guessing later. Well, there's there's a little bit of that going on, and 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 trends develop. If you are the opposing team and you see that happening, then you're going to pitch accordingly. And if 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 a team's not being aggressive early in the count, then you're going to pump strikes. And like you mentioned, it's the game within the game, so to speak, of how you work a count. And these there's some great pitching coaches that that monitor that of opponents and and can see that. Trust me, it's it's it, it happens wherever you go, and there's enough analytics that you can do that. So. The answer to that is to attack more and 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 be more aggressive. But you know, just the, the numbers when you, when you have Diaz, Colwick, Vaz, Bulger, Nolan, Young all hitting below 300, uh, with Diaz being right near 292, right below. But you know, and then then the SEC numbers aren't any better, and and you know. That's showing you something as it is. Uh, you know, the SEC is, of course, a lot tougher to hit in the, than the midweek games, and that's where a lot of these guys are getting their averages up before they go into the weekend. So, yeah, Chris, it's just a matter of, uh, to me, if, if if in watching this team, there's even there's a, just a spark. And, it, look, you can look at things, and you look at the – the looks on the players' faces that I saw on Friday night, and I'm not saying they weren't into the game. It's just a, when you're losing, there's a little pressing going on. And then the difference on Saturday, just the way they handled that, they even the announcers from the Auburn that they were doing on ESPN Plus were like, look at the depth of this team. And the Vanderbilt, and one through nine, they got guys. And look at these home runs. And my goodness, you know, you've got Troy and Lanive, who's, you know, coming to the game with only seven at-bats going into the, his at-bat, and he hits a bomb, and, and they almost look like the, the team of old, and then they just fall back into the average category on Sunday. So that's the puzzling thing. If you knew what the answer was, you know, <laughs> you and I would be coaching somewhere, which we're not, of course, we're not saying that we're, we're the experts here, but just from the observation standpoint, if you know that it's puzzling for Vanderbilt fans, you know it's got to be just – um, gut wrenching, and it's it's just no fun. It's it's not not what this team's used to when you when it's a when you're not used to it. It's a jolt to the system, and it's a jolt to the entire program from the top to the bottom. The coaches, the trainers, the managers. It's just uh, something you're not used to. And look, there's there's a lot of teams in this league who love uh, when they get the opportunity of beating up on old Vanderbilt. I mean, this is you know. You, this is uh, the fans are into it at the opposing places. Auburn loved it. There was a lot of energy going on, and the Twitterverse and all that. Uh, they've they're not dummies. They've seen the results of what this program's done. And when you're like that, it's almost like Kentucky basketball or Alabama football. When you've been at the top and you take your beating, it's you, you're going to get it at the expense of their fan base and of the, of their players. And when they get a chance to to uh, stick the knife in and twist it. They're going to do every chance, every time they can, they're going to. Um, what's your opinion to Mike Baxter? And I'll admit I'm, I'm biased. I've, I've always liked Mike. I liked him when he was a player. I've, I've, so I've known him for a long time. Um, my, Mike is one of the most thoughtful, um, just bright guys. I mean, he went to Columbia before he went to Vanderbilt. I think everybody knows that, but which doesn't necessarily imply that makes you a good coach, right? But Mike also was not one of those guys that was like Ted Williams. You know, it was said that Ted Williams wasn't maybe a good manager because he had extraordinary gifts that things that came natural for Ted Williams did not come natural for players. Well, Mike's not got that. Mike was not a kid who I think was super highly recruited. He was not a recognized as a star in college, and yet he made the majors and banged around for five or six years. So in my mind, all the stuff is there for Mike to be a good hitting coach. The other thing, I thought he did a tremendous job in in 2019. I thought he did a phenomenal job with that lineup. And maybe sometimes once something lodges in your head, and there's several things with Mike that have lodged in mine, um, 
it's hard to see things another way. But I'll, I'll, I'll be blunt. I don't think Mike Baxter suddenly got stupid uh, because, you know, my, again, because that's not who he is. I'm just wondering, is there something in, in their approach where the game has changed the last three years? Or, or, or what is it that if it is a coaching issue, where do you put your finger on it? Well, it's, um, you know, the, the, of the statement that you just said, I, I don't think Mike Baxter got stupid. Just That's the, the most truthful thing you said. In the, I mean, there was a lot of truth in what you said, but I don't think baseball coaches or any sport, basketball coaches, get dumb overnight and, and change their ways. Uh, I had a buddy of mine who, who texted me over the weekend and said, you know, you notice uh, there's so much video – available now that wasn't available 15 20 25 years ago analyzing swings and launch angles and all those things are are critiqued and Vanderbilt's hitting lab they got over there they've got every sort of device and that can measure those things and and sometimes you just wonder if that is a little bit overrated, you don't, you know, kids come in they don't forget baseball. They've got their swing and they've got the way they handle the bat and and uh, the mental approach maybe is more important than the physical. And I don't think that uh, – I don't know this for a fact. I just don't see – there is a philosophy that some programs have that they sit down with certain people and, and talk approach. And, all right, what are you seeing in this count? Um, walk me through this sequence of, of the, you're at bat here and if you're going to watch video of a game and tell me what you were thinking. Now, why were you think? Why didn't you – why didn't you aggressively attack – here in this at this at bat during Auburn in game two, you know, you can just break at bats to where you're sitting almost like a classroom situation. So not knowing, I, I can't imagine that if it's been a trend of, of Mike Baxter and his teaching, I don't know. I don't know if there's a philosophy over there that you, that uh, one way or the other, of course, he's going to catch the blame and, and you see it on your board of, of people who, it's easy to blame somebody, but I just can't imagine that when push comes to shove and you see an offensive explosion, other than the fact that Auburn kind of threw the towel in, I think, after the third inning in game two, what exactly changed except it's something between the ears of these guys? Um, because when, you know, if, if the best way to get out of something, you just go out and uh, a slump is to go up and hack. Just attack early in the count. You're looking fastball and drive the baseball somewhere. And, and um, you know, uh, having not seen them personally train uh, with my own two, eye, two eyes, I can't make an assessment um, as far as his performance or not. It's easier to do that in basketball if you're allowed to come to practice and you're a media person or you watch or you're on a podcast or a, bro- a call-in show to be able to do that. But – the way these guys uh, train year round and have been training their entire lives, I don't think there's a whole lot of uh, uh, of switching around going on with hand placement and how you hold the bat and and launch angles and things like that. When it comes down to it, it's a pretty simple game, and I think sometimes maybe be, maybe people take a little bit too much out of breaking swings down and things like that, and, just, and instead of just being simply aggressive, in my opinion. Well. The phrase that comes to mind is paralysis by analysis. And I will give you an example, albeit uh, much different, but I think it illustrates my point. In my 20s, when I was single, I would play not, not a lot of softball, a lot weekend warrior type stuff, but we, we were in a league, had the same team for a couple of years. And I would, I would get out there and, and I would think too much about you know wh- where to throw a ball or, or how to hit. And I remember the best guy on our team used to always yell at me, quit thinking, quit mm-hmm. thinking so much. And and I couldn't shut my head off because that wasn't the way I was wired. It didn't make any sense at the time. It does later. And, and by the way, the guy that was yelling at me wasn't dumb, but he just knew that the competitive part of of turning that off. I know for a fact they've had that issue w- with kids before. And, and I'm not saying, oh, that their kids are just that much smarter than everybody else's and everybody, every other team's kids are, are dummies, but the kids that make it at Vanderbilt and can do the stuff, 
generally are going to be cut from a different cloth. Not all of them are. They've had some kids that were were really talented players that weren't keen on school. And uh, some of those kids were bright kids who just didn't want to put in the work. Some of those kids maybe weren't as bright, but were good enough to get into school. But I know for them that's been a problem at times where kids overthink it. And when you're smart and thoughtful and you think about a lot of stuff, it's hard to shut that off. Um, And I'm guessing that between that and, and all the other stuff, uh, that might be one of those times where we're seeing where re- recruiting kids who are thoughtful, I, I do wonder sometimes if it gets in the way of their success when it goes wrong like it's gone wrong of late. Yeah, it, it, it is paralysis by analysis. It, it can be when things are going bad, of course. But, you know, baseball, the simplicity of baseball to me and in, in coaching kids that I do, my coach and my son team, even 12 years old is – Repetition. It is the repetition of a swing. It is the repetition of, of a pitching motion. And learning how to repeat when you have success in pitching, learning how to repeat that motion and do it over and over and over again, just like in the cage when you're hitting and you're taking BP and repeating that. And learning to you know, look for the fastball and adjust to the curve. It is, it is, it is inherently just by your body's reflexes, if you're anticipating a curveball and something comes in at 95 miles an hour, the adjustment is much more difficult that way than the, than the former. So um, I think that, you know, just like everything else, there's so much analytics and data and video and these kids with launch angle aspirations and doing those things that Sometimes when things go bad, you just wonder if it's just getting in the cage and repeat and repeat and hit balls and having the confidence of, you know, you got your swing down and you can repeat it, get out of the cage and you're locked in and you're ready to go and ready to play the game. So it's a funny game. Uh, It's one of the strangest games momentum wise out there that uh, more than anything else where you can string together a bunch of wins in a row. And next thing you know, you've forgotten about what's happened in the last seven out of eight in the SEC. And it, it just takes a successful weekend and some confidence building. And, and that's if, boy, if this team needs anything this weekend, a weekend series win would be, um, would be paramount for what they hope to do uh, going forward. Well, t- to your point, and then I'll get to another question or two before we get out of there, it, it can flip on a dime. Again, you did not see a losing streak like this coming when – they win their 18th game in a row by a 10 nothing margin on Friday night um, it, with the bullpen well-rested going into game two. Uh, and, and then nobody would have said right now, I see something coming. Well, I mean, you had people on our board saying, I, I see this wrong and that wrong and whatever, but you always get that. Uh, point being that it, it flipped from 18 in a row with the last one coming with a big exclamation point to this, and, and it can flip right back. But – Switching gears, what do you make of Christian Little? How should they be using him? Man, that's that's. Uh, if if you uh, were to tell me last year, if you were to tell me in Omaha, Nebraska, after watching that kid pitch in the final three games, you know he's in he was thrust thrust into a very tough situation against Mississippi State, and he handled it with maturity, and he, you know, he got hit around a little bit, but. Mississippi State was like it was like throwing raw meat to wolves. I mean, they they it could have been anybody. But my point is that, and you're sitting there thinking the next year that he would be in the situation that he's in right now. It's it's just puzzling. It's one of you know on the stat sheet in front of me, I've got his name circled with a question mark. Um, you know, the, it's just puzzling to me the amount of innings and where you thought he was going to be. Um, you know, over a year ago, but, you know, last June, fast forward, it's, it's gotta be puzzling to a lot of people, but that's a question mark. And, uh, you just don't know what's going on there. We're not privy to that. I mean, he throws, what did he get in the game three, um, game three throws an inning, uh, gave up two hits, faced five batters. Uh, but that was his activity. And you just look, the, there's the, the consistency thing, the lack of consistency, with so many people in the lineup is, you know, there hasn't been a pitcher this year. And we've, we've had this for the last four or five who has doubled up on the weekend. Who's gone Friday night and 
Sunday, who's gone back-to-back appearances. That's one thing that's just a big question mark. There's there's no guy who they the, this coaching staff counts on enough to roll out there on two separate times on a weekend and get the close. Now, would that have been Maldonado? But you know, maybe. But he was you know he was in the starting role to start off. So you know that that's as puzzling to me. I think if you, you know, other things that just kind of make you shake your head and you know the Maldonado injury, Christian Little. Uh, you've got, you know, of course, Carter Young situation where he was rated so high and you positive things. He's coming back from his shoulder injury and there's been that struggle. Um, Enrique Bradfield, to me, there's just a, something a little missing. I mean, his numbers, he's still batting 311, but God, he came in with such a gaudy numbers last year and he was new on the scene and, you know, he's, he still hadn't been caught st- stealing a base. He's 18 of 18, but that's just a little and again I'm not saying he's having a horrific year there's just there's different things you can point to several guys here and there who would have thought you know Troy Laneve ends on a great note last year and you think well that guy might break in and he's hitting 222 so you can go up and down the lineup and the roster and and question things just like well this is just not what I expected it to be um and 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 you can try to guess at the reasons, but it's um, it's not like they're hidden. They're on the stat sheet. You can see them in person if you watch the game, or watch them on in, if you're there in person, or watch on TV, watch the highlights. And and um, you know, there's still time to turn it around. But you get too far down. Either the NCAA, the the, the tournament selection committee, it doesn't work that you get the benefit. I mean, maybe a little bit prestige that Vanderbilt that's been to Omaha so many times and won titles in the last, uh, you know, eight years. There's some, maybe a smidgen of you get the benefit of the doubt as far as getting into a place in the tournament. But if it goes too far South, um, and, and that's what happened to South Carolina, as I mentioned over nine, 10 years ago, if it goes too far away, you're not going to get in if you don't deserve it. There's too much balance in this league and there's too much balance in the country as far as what's happening in, in baseball to to say, well, Vanderbilt, we're just going to let you in because of your name. I mean, if you're not if you don't deserve it, you're not going to get in. And right now, I would say this Vanderbilt team is, you know, a, a regional team, definitely not a host right now. I mean, they're going to have to. St- I mean, don't you agree? I mean, they're they're. I don't think hosting. Yeah, right now. Uh, hosting. Uh, yeah, they they're going to have real resume problems very quickly if they don't win this series. Uh, they've got a lot of time between now and then, but right now their resume is is not very good. No, they they would get in the tournament today. I, I just think based on overall record and RPI, but it, but at some point you can't lose every series. No. Um, and and I mean that th- they they could get there is a scenario out there where they get to to late May and it's just it's too late. Now I don't think that's going to happen, but it's got to be on the radar of concern at this point. Yeah, you just got to hope that that there's more Saturday performances uh, in their bag and they can figure it out because you know uh, it, it's been proven that losing records in the SEC can squeak you in if you're not. A, above 500 a couple games below has gotten teams in before but you know the the Wagner Hawaii that stretch of games is not going to help you in the RPI now of course the league RPI is going to help you when you do that but all of a sudden that 17 what was it 19 game winning streak or 17 game winning streak um, doesn't look as impressive when you look and see the teams they beat and and what their records are now it's it's just not as favorable in their column yeah, and I think one thing that may help a little bit is is getting four wins in Hawaii. Those are four road wins, and that's going to help that look better on the sheet. That'll be one of the things that gets looked at. I'm not going to say that's the thing that, that, that gets them in the tournament because it, it doesn't seem like a big thing, but that is one thing out there that they, they sort of have going for them right now. I'm going to sort of end on this note. I think we all watch them at times and think they're getting too cute. And it felt that way to start the season when you're going, well, Riley and Little are going to be in the rotation, right? And you look up and neither of them are. Little still hasn't started a game. Um, you got people asking, well, is it, is it time for 
Fitzgerald to go in the in the weekday rotate or the weekend rotation. Uh, fair question. I don't know the answer to it. But here's what I am getting at, Chip. It seems like two years that I remember where I thought they're just doing things that that I don't know that I would do. One of them was leaving Patrick Raby in the rotation as long as they did back in um, in 2019, and they got you know they they made that switch just before postseason. They did the same thing in 2014. 2014 was one of those years that they were at midseason. I remember people on our board were saying, this isn't a tournament team. It's not a very good team at all. This season's going nowhere. And you're sitting there going, man, um, you know, Fulmer needs to be in the rotation. And, and Bueller needs to be there too. And they continued to pitch Bueller midweek. And they didn't move Fulmer until, gosh, what was it? Uh, mid Midpoint of the conference season, which had been, I guess, about next weekend, for comparison's sake, was when, a, when they would have made the move. And they got Jared Miller in the rotation, who was a fine pitcher, but he just wasn't what those guys were. And I know this is not apples to apples, but but the point is here, I can think of a couple times where you feel like they're getting too cute with things, and you can you can name some more this year with the lineup probably too at times. But it seems like when they've done that, you know, they're losing games, they're they're maybe getting some answers in the end that that they need to know. You know, if you know them in April, it's better to find out then whether that's the answer you want or not than to find out in June where you lose one on a Friday night in a regional and, and it's one loss for your season. So that is a long, winding road to say a lot of the times when I think I felt like this before with them, um, it ended up being part of a master plan that, that won two national titles. No, that that does not imply – that's going to end this way because I, I don't know either. I still think this is the tournament team. I have a feeling they're going to figure out something and host in the end, but just keep that in mind uh, as we're watching this, we've kind of been there with, with Tim Corbin's teams before and, and had similar things and it ended really well in the end for them anyway. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you, when things are going well and you've got that guy midweek, when you mentioned Futrell, you know, the Mason Hickmans of the world who were racking up Futrell-type numbers midweek. Well, when you're winning and you're saying, well, this guy, you know, could you give him a spot in the third rotation on the Sunday starter? And what, Well, no, you know, because he's going to be the guy who you're prepping. And in the mind, at least if I'm the, the head coach, you know, that guy midweek, he's your Monday night starter in a regional uh, if you get beat in that third game that you can throw out there and he can go win you a regional. And, you know, that's easy to say when you're winning that, you know, that we're just going to keep him there and groom him and, and have the success. Well, when you're making, when you're questioning or saying, well, uh, when people and out there watching the games is future already, that's when you say, you know, once you make that switch, not saying you can't go back to it, but it, it does say something about where you are, and, and I'm not saying they're there yet. I wouldn't I, – I could go either way, Chris. I wouldn't be surprised if they gave him a shot to do it um, coming up um, this weekend. I don't know if they've announced a starter for this game, but it, it wouldn't surprise me. But that's just the difference when you're winning, and it's easy to groom that guy midweek um, to be that guy to be your fourth starter or your extra starter in Omaha – well, right now you're not you're not worried about Omaha. You're worried about getting your season back on course and getting to where you're you're going to be in the tournament and and those type of things. So, yeah, it's um, to your point, a little frustrating to watch and follow. Uh, and I'm <laughs> if it's it's frustrating for uh, fans and and to watch it and say that comment. You know, it has to be five times that much for the coaching staff and. Uh, they just got to try to dig down and find a way and, and uh, whatever that is and, and whatever combination. And once you find it, you stick with it and you ride those guys. So there's some, be some confidence building when you, when you're kind of rotating guys and I'm not saying they, they don't want to be in this position. They don't want to be playing a different lineup every weekend. You want to have that model of consistency to get some guys, some reps and, and it sends a message out there. So it, um, 
it's a very unfamiliar territory, uh, and um, they have the opportunity in front of them. It's just uh, it's just uh, a key series, and it's a key series for Florida too. I mentioned that uh, two teams staring at uh, you know Florida's kind of coming up on an uptick after the way they played against the number one team in the country. And Vanderbilt's sort of stumbling back from Auburn, saying, "You know, where are we? And and is our season on the line here? We gotta we gotta make hay uh, this weekend and, and make up some ground." Chip, I hate to do this. I literally have to go right now. I'm I'm running into a radio spot I'd forgotten about. Go to so, it. Hey, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week. All right, Chris. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, VandySports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VandySports.com. Follow me at ChrisLee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.